Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. But speaking of not good, the Lakers had themselves a night, and by that, I mean a crappy night. They just got worked by the worst team in basketball. An alleged world title contender just choked away a 26-point lead to a team that's in full tank mode that isn't even trying to win. That's how bad of a night that was for the LA Lakers. Like, it does not get much worse than that. Well, actually, it does. It does get worse than that. Not only did they choke away a 26-point lead to the worst team in the NBA and a team that really isn't even trying to win, but Russell Westbrook used to play for that team and could not get to the end of the game without imploding and getting himself ejected because he thought that they were clowning him and the rest of the Lakers. That bad of a night for L.A., like one of the worst nights ever, one of the worst losses ever, if not the worst loss ever. And that's not even me talking. That's not me. No, I could find you somebody way more credible. I could find you somebody way more authoritative on matters like this than me. I can find you an all-time great who is saying things like that. And no, I'm not talking about hot take Irv. I'm not talking about hot take Irv. I'm talking about big game James. That's right. James Worthy. He literally could not believe what he had just seen. This, this, I don't know. I've seen a lot of Lakers losses. This might have been like the worst loss I've seen. Because you're up 26, right? That's like the worst loss I've seen. Like that's not some random egg on Twitter. That's not even Irv on Twitter. That's James Worthy on TV saying that that might be the worst loss ever and that it sucks that they have that mentality. Saying that it sucks that they have that mentality is another way for saying they don't give a damn. That a team that won a championship like, what, five minutes ago has so little pride that they could choke away a 26-point lead to the worst team in the NBA. And by so little pride, I mean none at all. Because if you had even a sliver of pride, there is no way anybody on that floor would ever let something like that happen. And no, I don't want to hear that, yeah, well, the other guys get paid too. Yeah, let me tell you about the other guys. The other guys were 0-4. The other guys are in full tank mode. The other guys really aren't even trying that hard to win. You're supposed to be trying to win a world championship. And I also don't want to hear, yeah, but they didn't have LeBron again. Of course they didn't have LeBron again. LeBron is still trying to recover from getting coffined by the creator of Squid Game. An ankle injury. What I'm saying to you is I don't care that they didn't have LeBron again. I don't care that they played an OT game the night before. The hell does any of that matter? I don't care that they've got all these new faces and it's going to need or it's going to take some time for them to gel. None of that matters. And it really didn't matter considering they were up 40-19 at the end of the first quarter. So yes, saying that that was one of the worst losses ever and that it sucks that they've got a mentality that would enable them to have something like that in them. Yeah, that's right. Here's Russ's stat line for the night. Check this out. 20 points, 13 assists, 10 rebounds. Hey, man, triple-double. Excellent. Oh, wait, one more. 10 turnovers. 
quad double if you need them. Hell yes. I love a quad double. Oh, wait. It gets better. Not only a quad double, but you can add to it two T's and one ejection. Have yourself a day, Russ. Have yourself one of the worst days ever. Because here's my concern, right? If Russ, and don't get me wrong, Hall of Famer, blah, 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 the whole thing, I know. But if Russ, who we know runs hot anyway, runs so hot anyway, can't keep his head in an October game against the worst team in the league, how can we expect him to keep his head in big games against actual teams come playoff time? I mean, seriously, if this guy can't get through a game against the worst team in the league without getting ejected, what's going to happen when they need him against the best teams in the league? So exactly what set this guy off? I mean, a lot of things, right? But exactly what set him off? They brought him in so they would have him on nights when LeBron can't go, right? Nights like last night. Yet he didn't even finish the game. Why? Because of this. And they throw it away. And there's the capper. The bow on it was Baisley dunking it. Uh-oh. And Russ is telling him. Russ is in Baisley's Uh-oh. face. Telling him not to do that. This is not going to sit well. Again, these two teams will play again next week at Staples Center. Uh, Russ just got tossed. You know, those are the, quote, unwritten rules. Whether you believe in them or not, that's up to you. Russ obviously gave Baisley an earful. And Russ tossed. Sportsnet LA. I mean, come on. Get out of here with that. So a dude dunks late in the game, man. Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> Apparently, Russ, a lot. Just how I play the game, and you know, I'm we're old school, um, and like that happened. I don't let it slide. So you know, I take it on the chin and move on. But you know, the game of basketball, certain things you just don't do. Like in baseball, you don't look bad. And certain things you just don't do. A certain in sports, um, game already over, and I didn't like it. So was that? Simple as that. And you know what the problem with that is, Russ? The game was over at halftime when you guys quit. So were they supposed to not run any plays for an entire half? He just said that simple as that. I don't like that. Simple as that. Simple as that or dumb as that. You're going to get all red-assed baseball player with it and enforce a code on Darius Baisley and the Oklahoma City Thunder? You don't like that? Simple as that? OKC. Let me tell you something. Simple as that. You and your teammates should have never let that happen. So you can all wear that. You just got punked and humiliated by the worst team in the league. Simple as that. The only thing worse than doing it is defending it after it's done and then justifying it by like saying that you're old school and there's a right way and a wrong way and it's the code because I'm old school. Let me tell you something. There's nothing old school about choking away a 26-point lead to the worst team in the league. Stop acting like you're preserving the sanctity of the game or something. You guys are choking two chumps and imploding when it happens. That's what you're doing. And it's a bad look. It's a bad look and a bad sign for the Lakers. Basically dunking on you guys at the end of the game is not bad. But you guys quitting around halftime is. You want to know who's disrespecting the game? Every guy wearing a Laker uniform last night. Not the guy dunking on all of you at the end of the game. Oh, and here's another thing. 
If you're kind of of this opinion that, hey, man, that's not cool. Act like you've been there before. That was their first win of the season. They haven't been there before. They can't act like they've been there before. They haven't won yet until last night. Man, I knew there would be problems. And I knew it would take some time. But I did not expect these kind of problems from the Lakers. Man, they are much worse than that 2-3 and three record indicates. This, this, I don't know. I've seen a lot of Lakers losses. This might have been like the worst loss I've seen. Because you're up 26, it, it, right? It, it just the sucked first half. that they have this mentality that they can't finish games and they think that teams are going to just lay down for them. And uh, they got to change that. That's what I'm saying right there. That That is James Worthy. James Worthy saying it. What an amazing quote. It sucks that they had that mentality. Well, what mentality? The mentality that allows you to lose to the Thunder when you have a 26-point lead. Just sucked. The first half. It did suck. It does suck. Saying something sucks is not a take unless big game James is saying it. And that mentality suck. does suck. Just like I said, that's not even hot take Irv. That's big game James. Just that's not even some random egg on Twitter. That's big game James. Just it did suck. You know what else sucks? Having a problem with them throwing down on you at the end of the game, man. They're the thunder. Of course they're going to do that. Okay, well, you think they were going to dribble off the clock, Russ? Come on, man. Of course you brought that hammer down. Your problem should be with what you see in the mirror and the guys you're running with. That's your problem. Did you know a fire department responds to a fire every 24 seconds? October is Fire Prevention Month, and we have teamed up with First Alert, the most trusted brand in fire safety, to help protect your entire home with safety that you can trust. Smoke and carbon monoxide alarms help provide an early warning in the event of a home emergency. And having enough First Alert smoke and carbon monoxide alarms is one of the best things that you can do to protect your home and family. Install alarms on every level and in every bedroom of your home. Once those alarms are installed, it is important to maintain them by testing them with regularity. Also, remember the alarms do not last forever and they do need to be replaced at least every 10 years. If you cannot remember the last time you replaced yours, it is best to replace the unit completely. And for a replacement option, my favorite is First Alert's 10-year sealed battery alarms. 10-year sealed battery alarms are convenient and they eliminate the need for battery replacements for a decade. Lastly, take this time and discuss home safety with your family, plan and practice an escape route, and remember to practice it at least twice a year. For more information on fire safety products, safety tips, and educational activities that you can do at home with your family, go to firstalert.com slash fire prevention month. He's a friend of the program too. He is Chris Mannix. Chris, what's going on, man? How you feeling? How you holding up? What's happening, Jim? I'm good. Dude, you are everywhere doing everything. Do you sometimes forget, like, wait, am I doing boxing today? Am I doing basketball today? Am I doing, what am I doing today? There is a, like, it's almost like a switch you have to flip. Like, I've been doing basketball for the last few weeks, but as we get into November, beginning with the Canelo fight on November 6th, it's five straight weekends that I'm 
at fights, calling fights, and doing that. So there is like a, a, a brain shift you have to, to make to do that stuff. I, mean, I got to be honest with you. Every time you and I talk, and I don't really verbalize it, but I, I can't help it, Chris. I always go back to the conversations you and I used to have in the green room at GRIB. Mm-hmm. When you were a young guy coming up, you're like, hey, man, I got to be honest. There's a quality of life here. There's a quality of life thing. Dude, you are grinding harder than anybody. What happened to quality of life? I mean, I guess it's kind of how you look at it, right? Like, I, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I'm doing something I really like to do. I mean, you think about it, when you grow up, you want to sit at games and make phone calls to coaches and talk to them about things. And from a boxing perspective, I grew up, you know, watching what Max Kellerman did, what Larry Merchant did. And now I get to do it on a certain level. So it's, uh, it's kind of how you look at it. Like, I'm, I'm, I feel like I've got a pretty good quality of life. Oh, dude, no, come on. I'm not challenging anything at all. I just I think <laughs> it's interesting that you used to think that. You have a great quality of life. You're living the dream, man. You are living your dream and even exceeding it. I, I should be talking to you about the Lakers, but I'm just kind of following mm. you around. Dude, Larry Merchant, man, how awesome was Larry Merchant in his prime to watch him do what he did? How great was he? He, he up until he left HBO, was phenomenal, and... One thing I, you know, you try to learn from the people that did it before you and did it well, and Larry and Max are two guys that did exceptionally well. Larry was often very pointed with his questions. He didn't beat around the bush. He didn't care if he didn't like his questions. So when I'm in the ring, you know, a lot of times I'm kind of channeling Larry Merchant, just asking people very specifically what I think an audience wants to know. And I think Larry was one of the best at that. You understand that. And not everybody liked him or got him. I, I just want to go on record. I loved Larry yeah. Merchant. He was so good, so good. All right, so you got a piece on the Lakers earlier this week. And last night they blew that 26-point lead to Oklahoma City. Russ had a triple-double. He actually had a quad-double. Mm. Early on, like it, it is early, and you knew it would take some time. But what do you make of the fit with him and the team? Well, it, it's not good. That's for sure. But you're right. I don't think we can make any kind of, a ju- of assessment of what the Lakers are until after Christmas when Russ gets a couple of months with the team, when hopefully two key players and Trevor Reza and Taylor Horton Tucker are back and in the rotation, uh, when these 10 new players that they have there can find a way to gel. But the early returns are, you know, that they, they kind of are what we expected them to be, Jim. They're they're a team that Russ can't seem to find an offensive fit on. They're a team that is woeful defensively. And this was a team that was number one in defense last year. You watch them play, and it's just not there. They don't have the horses anymore to be a high-level defensive team. Their floor spacing is terrible because they're insisting on playing DeAndre Jordan or Dwight Howard 30-ish minutes uh, every single game. It's it's not, it's not good, and you know, we keep telling ourselves, and we should be telling ourselves, that you got to give this Laker team time, but all the things we thought were problematic when this team was put together in September are problematic now as we go into November. Chris Mannix is joining us. One more thought about Russ. Chris, do you think that he and they would be better served if he came off the bench, and is there any way Russ would ever accept that at this point in his career or at you any know, point? I, I, I think – I, the, the short answer is yes. They would be better served with Russ in that role. And in a way, he kind of is because when you watch these Laker games, Russ is often the first guy out. He's out four or five minutes into the game. So he is nominally the starter, but they bring him out and bring him back in when a lot of those second-unit guys are out there on the floor. The, the, so I think that's sort of happening without actually happening. 
The question is, and why they play Russ so many minutes with AD and with LeBron early on, is can he stay on the floor in the final six minutes of a game? Like, is your best lineup one that includes all three of Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis? Or are you better served putting a collection of shooters around LeBron and AD and letting them be the engine running pick and roll at the top of the key? That, that's my bigger question. I'm not so much worried about starting in the bench with Russell Westbrook. It's just, are you able to put him on the floor when he's not a threat from three-point land? Watch these games, Jim. Like, nobody's defending Russ out there. Like, they're basically playing four and five at times when he doesn't have the ball on the offensive end. Like, he's never been a good three-point shooter. How do they make an adjustment so that Russell Westbrook can be a factor for this team offensively in the final six minutes of the game. That, to me, is the biggest question the Lakers have to answer. I agree with you. That's exactly what's happening. If you're like me, your weekend plans include kicking back, watching live sports, and it doesn't even matter what sport you're watching. It's always fun to have a little action. Personally, I've got my week eight eye on Pittsburgh, making that short trip to Cleveland for a heated divisional battle. This is why I'm going to recommend downloading the WinBet app right away. Whether you're a recreational player or a serious handicapper, WinBet is your ticket to every exciting wager. From straight bets to parlays, teasers, and any exotic prop wager you can come up with, the app is so easy to use, and everybody knows that Win is one of the biggest and best brands in the gaming industry. So get off the sidelines and join in on all the action. Download WinBet right now. You can get it on Google Play or the Apple App Store. Put yourself in the game with WinBet. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. You do have to be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Chris Mannix is joining us. Chris, you've got a great piece up right now on SI.com about the Charlotte Hornets. Now, last year they were a really entertaining team. Really entertaining team. This year they've got the second best record in the East. How do you think they match up with the best in the East? How good are they? What's their upside? Well, uh, this year I think their upside is a middle-of-the-pack playoff team, which would be a huge jump for Charlotte. I mean, this is a team that has been as anonymous as any team has been over the last 20 years. I mean, the last time we kind of knew something about Charlotte, it was either Baron Davis in the early 2000s or the you know Grandmama Hornets from back in the mid-1990s. Like, so this team has been basically faceless for a long time. They have a face now in LaMelo Ball. They have some unreal young talent ball is great miles bridges might have already grabbed the most improved player this year i mean he is just putting up 30 point games effortlessly this is a guy that averaged 12 per game in each of the last two seasons and he looks legit like he looks like this this has staying power um i wouldn't call them a contender at least not for an eastern conference crown quite yet you have to kind of walk before you run and the hornets are very much in that walking stage but they can beat you with so many offensive weapons. Terry Rozier has only played one game for this team so far. Gordon Hayward's been excellent uh, for this team. They're just, they are the, uh, a team that has just developed their young players really nicely. They have complemented those young players with the right role players, and they've got a terrific coach in James Borrego, who I think is a front-runner for Coach of the Year. So I don't list them as the team that can compete with, say, Milwaukee or Brooklyn, the top-tier teams that are going to be there in the Eastern Conference. But this is a team that will be a threat to win a first-round series for sure. Chris Mannix joining us. Chris, one quick thought, if you don't mind. Ben Simmons goes from getting kicked out of practice to a back injury, and now he says he's not mentally prepared to play right now. Does that, though, feel like an improvement, at least as it relates to his teammates? I think it's an improvement because 
Ben did have kind of a clear-the-air meeting with his teammates last week to discuss some of what's been going on. And in the aftermath of that, you have seen his teammates publicly support him, whether it's talking to the media. You saw Joel Embiid at that home opener imploring fans in Philly to support Ben because he's still their teammate. So I think they're in a better place now than they were a couple of weeks ago when Ben Simmons first reported that team. The question is, Jim, how long can they let him sort of sit out? And how long is Philadelphia's patience here? I mean, I think everybody is willing to give Ben some rope to kind of work his way back into shape and work his way mentally back. But I know there are people in Philadelphia that are wondering if this is another ploy. Like he's tried basically everything at this point to force his way out of Philadelphia from a holdout to kind of drifting through practice and getting tossed. There are people down in Philly that are wondering if he's just doing this as uh, the next mechanism to get himself out of Philadelphia. So I think my question, the question in Philly, is just how long will Philadelphia wait uh, before they start you know, bringing the stick out with Ben Simmons again and fining and suspending him for not being part of the team. Right, and I'm still trying to figure out exactly why he wanted to leave in the first place myself. In fact, I got about 30 seconds. Do you know the mm-hmm. answer to that? Why does he want out or did he want out? Look, he's articulated it to the Sixers reasonably well. I, I just don't think he wants to play in this type of pressure environment right now. I mean, Simmons has said it. He, you know, he was the number one overall pick, but he never really got a chance to operate like the number one overall pick, to make mistakes on bad teams like so many previous top picks have been able to do. I think he wants to be in a, le- a lower-pressure situation right now, and that's just not going to happen in Philadelphia. I get it. Senior writer for SI, NBA analyst for NBC Sports Boston, a boxing analyst for zone. He's going to be doing that for the next several weekends, and lots of different podcasts and content. Chris, great to have you on, man. Great job. Appreciate you. Much respect. Anytime, Jim. I've got to talk to you about the most amazing product, my X chair. <laughs> my X chair is insane. I mean, it's incredible. I never actually look forward to getting to the office to sit in my office chair until I got my X chair. As an example, can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? My X chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My X chair can. And it's all in the LMAX massage and temperature regulation exclusively designed and made for X chair. I'm talking crazy technology with my X chair. And once you feel the customized support of X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar or DVL, your back will never be happy in any other chair again. Take my advice. Try X chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never go back. Trust that. Go to xchairrome.com. That is the letter X chair R-O-M-E.com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for 100 bucks off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. That's xchairrome.com, xchairrome.com. Not a good thing for baseball that I'm talking about a regular season NBA game. Not even a regular season NBA game, but an NBA game five games in. Instead of a World Series two games in. That's not good. There's literally nothing. Not good. That should be happening in the NBA five games in that would trump the World Series two games in. But it did. But better late than never. 
So if you've been calling the Houston Astros the Houston Asterisks and hoping that they would get swept out of the World Series, unfortunately, I've got bad news because that's not going to happen. Not after last night. You know, like if you suddenly decided that the Atlanta Braves were your favorite team because you hate those cheaters from Houston so much. Again, last night was a bad night for you. Or even if you're neutral, like even if you don't care, and all you wanted was a good, exciting, compelling baseball game. Last night, also not your night. Because as bad as Houston looked in game one, they looked good in game two. And they came out mashing, starting with Jose Altuve, who was pretty much terrible in game one, but let off last night with a double, moved a third a batter later, then came home on a sack fly. So what I'm saying is, after eating punches... From Atlanta in game one, Houston landed the first blow last night. Then they kept right on giving them the hands, even after the Braves tied it in the top of the second. So still way too early in the series to make any kind of serious declaration. But if Houston wins this series, it's going to be because of what they did in the bottom of the second. Atlanta had just tied it up. The ATL was doing what they do, just being relentless. And remember, Houston had to have that game. You can't lose two and then need to win four out of five going back to their place. So that's why that was so key, that inning. Houston bounces back. They had two runners on. Then Jose Siri comes up. Outfield deep and shaded the other way. Freeman holding on Guriel at first. Pitch on the way. And that's a ground ball weakly hit. Goes past Freed. Albies will pick it up, throw to first. Not in time. Tucker scores. Astros lead 2-1. to 2-1 Houston. And then Atlanta went all Little League with it on the next batter. Runners lead off first and second. The 1-1 to Maldonado. And that's a ground ball through the left side. A base hit on his way to third. Guriel, he's around third and coming home. The throw goes toward third. As Siri gets there, the ball gets away. Guriel scores. Siri coming home. And he will score as well. Maldonado goes to second. And the Astros lead 4-1. to one. Hey, listen. There's nobody hotter in baseball right now than Eddie Rosario. But even Eddie Rosario cannot throw a guy out when there's nobody there to catch the throw. Eddie's good, but Eddie is not good enough to throw and catch the ball himself. I'm not sure what was supposed to happen on that play. I just know that that's not it. I've never actually physically seen a Tom Emansky video other than all those commercials back in the day. But I'm pretty sure Tom is not telling his guys to throw to a base when there's nobody wearing a glove within 20 feet of that base. So that error was followed by a wild pitch. And then the meltdown was officially on. When the inning was over, Houston was up 5-1, and then that game was over. I mean, sure, there was six and a half more innings still to be played, but none of that mattered. I mean, I rarely see that kind of crap in my son's high school games, much less in a World Series game. And I hope that none of the fam or knaves are watching. My son's baseball team, high school baseball team, not exactly a national powerhouse. Although they are getting better. But I don't even see that crap at those games. I don't even see that crap at university high school games in Irvine. But I saw it last night in the World Series. So Atlanta manages to push one across in the fifth. Houston adds one in the sixth. And then another in the seventh on Jose Altuve's home run. 
But if you had turned the TV off after the second, you would have been fine. And isn't that the problem? That's the problem, right? It was already the series that pretty much nobody wanted to begin with. Again, not me, but pretty much everybody else wanted nothing to do with this series. So if you can somehow at least get the people to peek it, just take a look at it. The last thing you want to do is confirm what they thought they already knew. Yep, that's what I thought. Sucks. Just no suck need that. to spend any time here. Now, let's be real about this series. Two games in, the worst thing about the World Series is actually the best thing, or at least the most interesting thing. A dude who busted his leg and didn't make it out of the third inning of the first game is the best thing about the World Series so far, or at least the most compelling thing, or at least the most exciting thing, or at least the most interesting thing. Man, that's not good. (laughs) I mean, if we're going to point to some dude breaking his leg as the high point of a series, that's a problem. So what I'm saying is, for a series involving two teams that people love to hate, or at least ignore, they're making it pretty easy to hate or ignore the World Series. Like last night, per usual, if they didn't pay me, if they didn't pay me. Last night's game was more than three hours long, and it felt like six. Game one was more than four hours long. And aside from Charlie Morton shattering his leg and continuing to pitch, that was pretty much a complete waste of time, too. Max Fried got knocked around for the second straight start, and now that series is tied. Houston's bats are awake, and Atlanta's looking at one and maybe two bullpen games back home. You know, it's bad. It's so bad. You know it's a bad night when your ace gives up six runs, and the best that you can say about him was that he stopped the bullpen from getting overworked. What kind of a take is that? I'm not saying that Atlanta's going to miss Charlie Morton very much, But the fact is, his roster replacement watched Game 1 from a courtyard by Marriott eating takeout salad from the Cheesecake Factory. All right, clones, this is where you can get involved. This is where you live. This is what you do. Now you can pick up the take. Now it's no longer about baseball, right? Now it's about Tucker Davidson watching Game 1 from the lobby of a courtyard in Georgia. A courtyard Marriott. After hitting the Cheesecake Factory, and then he got the call at 1 a.m. that the team needed him. He gets the call. He puts down the fork. He hops the first flight to Houston. He was actually in the bullpen for game two. I'm not sure what I respect more. The fact that he was ready on a moment's notice or the fact that he went with a salad from the Cheesecake Factory. I mean, nothing but respect for both those things. I don't know what he brings to the team in terms of his arm, but this dude's got some crazy discipline. A salad from the Cheesecake Factory. Dude, that is some mental toughness right there. You want to talk about wearing a toughness groove in your brain. This dude took one look at that war and peace length menu and decided on salad. My man turns through all those pages of food. It's like the yellow pages of food. And not just food. Open up that menu. What do you see? You see page after page after page of food. And every kind of food. But not only food. Ads. Ads in the menu. Ads for 
plastic surgery, cruise lines, perfume, the factory itself. My man is able to get through all that and go right to salad? He skipped right over the Buffalo Blast, the Glam Burgers, no French dip cheeseburger, passed on the factory burrito grande, the factory famous meatloaf, the factory chicken Bellagio, the factory barbecue chicken pizza, probably some factory Chateaubriand. Menstu didn't even fool himself with something from the skinny-licious menu. He didn't even try to be sensible with something like the cauliflower tacos. My man went right to the lettuce, right to the salad. Man, that is a badass move there. That's a power move. I don't know how good this dude is when it comes to control around the plate, but I admire his control of his plate. Hell! Stay ready so you don't have to get ready, I guess. And Atlanta better hope he's ready because that bullpen is taxed. They're going to need some guys to eat innings and eat them well. Better turn this thing over to the dude who ordered a salad from the Cheesecake Factory. I don't know. Maybe it gets better. Maybe it gets better when the series goes back to Atlanta because it can't get any worse. Hey, Tuck, I mean, for real, dude? Are you for real? You got a salad at the Cheesecake Factory. It better have been the Cobb salad because there's bacon for months. And there's more cheese on that Cobb salad than there is on a Papa John's pizza. Allegedly. I don't know. Maybe, maybe my man thought it through. Maybe my man did the math. Maybe my man had a plan. Maybe he's thinking to himself, you know what? I'm going to go salad because you know what I'm going to do after that? I'm going to go salad so I have the right to murder a slice or four of the Oreo Dream Extreme Cheesecake. Mmm. Mmm. Mm. Carrot cake Andy. cheesecake. Mmm. Mm. Hot fudge sundae oh. cheesecake. Mmm. Mm. Dolce de leche. Mmm. Mmm. Banana split cheesecake. Mmm. Mm. Crumble brulee cheesecake. What the hell happened to just cheesecake? Mmm. Key lime pie cheesecake. Mmm. Triple layer chocolate cake cheesecake. Mmm, prime rib cheesecake. The hell happened to cheesecake, man? The only thing more psycho than ordering a salad at Cheesecake Factory is ordering a slice of plain original cheesecake. That makes you a real dumbass. Imagine, what are you talking about, Rome? Hit that little strawberry. Why don't you just kind of wade through the yellow page menu Yellow pages of menu that they have there. Went through all those ads, the optical ads, the plastic surgeon ads. Hey, Shepard, my man, or Tucker, my man, you didn't want the Shepherd's Pie cheesecake? You didn't want the Pot Thai cheesecake? You didn't want the crispy. Crab with cream cheese wonton cheesecake. Yo, brah, you think you're better than the baked rigatoni cheesecake? 
What's up, bro? You took one look at that New York steak cheesecake and didn't want any of that? I don't know about you, Tucker. You do you. Me? I'm going to go fried mac and cheese cheesecake. I don't know, man. I haven't hit the Cheesecake Factory lately, but I can tell you something right now. If I did, I'd go directly to the Fish and Chips Cheesecake. That menu is something. Like, what plastic surgeon says, all right, we got a budget. Where are we going to advertise? Where are we going to advertise? Radio, TV, online, the Cheesecake Factory menu. That's where we're going to put our money. You know, like when you go to restaurants and you see like their industrial size kitchens, kitchen, kitchen supplies. I would love to see the refrigerator back there, man. That refrigerator has got to be bigger than the restaurant itself. That refrigerator has to be bigger than every mall that that restaurant's in. That refrigerator has got to be bigger than the city of Irvine. I will have your chicken potsticker cheesecake. You know what I got a craving for today? I've been craving this all day long. The fire-roasted artichoke cheesecake. Have you ever had their southern fried chicken slider cheesecake? No, 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 wait, 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 excuse me, waitress. Can I get the fried calamari cheesecake? You know what we should do? We should get a Tex-Mex egg roll cheesecake for the table. I don't know, man, don't, don't act like I'm out of line here. It's, that, that menu's insane. It really is. Like, if you ever think to yourself, I, I don't know, do I want Thai food? Do I want Mexican food? Do I want Italian food? Do I want Chinese food? Do I want Japanese food? Do I want sushi? Do I have a sweet tooth? The answer is yes. You can get it all in one place. It's incredible. And I'm not talking about a buffet. I'm talking about you can get an entree for all those things. Oh, and a bar. And a bar. Okay. Are you hungry now? A bar, not a car. And a bar. When we, what did I tell you, clones? I said that I would get off of the baseball and get to something you liked better. Can I tell you, the Cheesecake Factory is so much more interesting than the World Series. Sorry, MLB. The Cheesecake Factory's menu is way more interesting than anything happening between the lines right now. We're talking to Pete Thamel, where he kept confusing Penn State with Illinois or his opponent, I should say. What's your sense as to how things are going for him right now and where his head's at? Well, I think James is, is picking a bad year to have a bad year. Um, it, it, I, I'm not optimistic for Penn State's chances at Ohio State on Saturday night. Now, look, Penn State, if there's one hallmark and consistency of James Franklin's time there, is that they have played the Buckeyes tough. Um, it's just hard to envision that offense, even with a healthy Sean Clifford, um, really, you know, digging in and finding itself and being able to score with Ohio State. Penn State's got a great defense. They have a very good secondary. Um, but it's just, it's, 
it's very hard for me to envision a path to victory and a path to keeping it close for Penn State on Saturday night, which means James Franklin will be the you know on a three-game losing streak at a year after he went four and five, and it's uh, it, if if he did desire to leave State College, um, and he's been he's been fairly vague in his comments when when asked, uh, this would this would certainly not aid that campaign to do so. We're talking to Pete Thamel. That's interesting, right? So do you think, how interested do you think that he would be in either USC or LSU? And then to your point, Pete, things are not going very well for him right now. How interested then are they in him? Well, look, if you look at James Franklin's body of work, especially at, at, at Vanderbilt and for much of his time at Penn State, it would be naive and short-sighted to take this, Take, be a prisoner of the moment and take these current events and and let them overshadow what he's done. I mean, if you if you, on a pure accomplishment level, James Franklin is exponentially more accomplished than Mel Tucker, whose name has gotten buzzy uh, at LSU. Something I'm very skeptical of in the in the big picture. Uh, it, you know, there's a there is a distinguished body of work for James Franklin coaching in at two places in in the early part of his Penn State tenure. You can't forget they were still cleaning up from the NCA sanctions and the, the horrible stigma that came along with the uh, just the awful Jerry Sandusky scandal. And so it was a it was a bad roster and it was a bad stigma on that program and he did great work building it back to being, you know, competitive and they won they've won the Big 10 since uh, since he's been there and uh, you know, he's, he's been more consistent than, uh, than than Jim Harbaugh for sure. Um, you know, he's been there a little less time at Michigan, but I, look, I, I think a lot of James Franklin as a coach, and I'm certainly not going to just, you know, live in this, you know, what could be a three-game losing streak and, and think he's he's not a viable candidate anywhere else or washed up, but we do live in a, and we are prisoners of the now a lot in, uh, you know, in, in, in college athletics. It would also be naive to say this has hurt him if, uh, you know, as those schools are, uh, as those schools are analyzing we are talking to Pete Thamel. All right, Pete, so what about, like, when you when you evaluate those two jobs, USC and LSU, which would you say is more appealing, or maybe, Pete, are we talking apples to oranges, and is it just a matter of preference depending on the coach? Well, they're, they're, they're very different jobs. If you just ask me which one is a better job, and it's, it's a great top radio debate, you, you could go on with it for, for, for a while, I'm going to say LSU is a better job. The last three LSU coaches – have won national titles. One of those is Nick Saban, who's obviously the, the greatest coach of this time. And then the other two are Les Miles and Ed Orgeron, who, quite frankly, aren't that well respected, certainly as tacticians, um, and you know have some 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 flaws as head coaches. Uh, history will say that their championship teams were much more due to the LSU job and the talent it can attract than their actual talents as coaches. So, if you know, if if the last three LSU coaches are, were able to win titles, you know, it, it it does say something about the caliber of the job, the the passion of that fan base, and just the attraction to play in Tiger Stadium for local recruits. And you know, depending on what per capita metric you use, there there are more players per capita in you know in Louisiana pretty much than anywhere else in uh, in, in the country. So that said, is it an easier path if you get USC rolling? to make the college football playoff, sure. But you also have to remember, USC hasn't made the college football playoff. And it, that this, we're going into year what? It started in 15. So 
we're going about year seven of this thing. So these these recruits don't actually know USC as a vibrant and relevant program. They know it as uh, you know as something that looks cool on YouTube, and you know you see highlights of Reggie Bush flipping into the end zone. But those aren't current events for current recruits right now. So the the turn there is is bigger and deeper. I do credit the new administration at USC and the previous two administrations at USC were two of the single or two of the worst administrators, Pat Hayden and Lynn Swan, that have ever been hired in my time covering college football. They were just abject disasters. And USC has spent a lot of time having to dig out of that. They've had to build infrastructure. They not only were behind on the field, but they were behind in, in building and growing their program with all the modern accoutrements you need to, uh, to, to build a successful, viable program. So the, the new administration under Mike Bowen has certainly done a nice job helping them catch up. But to say they're there is naive because we're not there. It's such a strong comment, what you just said, Pete, that in all of your years of covering college football, those are two of the worst administrators ever hired. And it's so fair in what you just said. That's that's accurate. That's true. Now, in terms of you covering college football for a long time, let me ask you this. This is the time of year where college coaches are constantly ducking questions about whether or not they're interested or not in a different job. That said, have you ever seen anything quite like the way Mike Tomlin addressed a question about the USC job. Have you ever seen anything like that before? That I thought was, uh, I, I thought was telling. And I thought my old buddy, Mike Rosenberg at SI.com did a, did a great column where he thought people kind of missed the, missed a little bit of the point of the, the, the genesis of where Tomlin's anger came from when he asked if Andy Reid was getting asked about college jobs or, you know, other, uh, other coaches like that. And so, yeah, there was, there was clearly, that was clearly meant more to Mike Tomlin if you really dial in and, and, and read into his comments than just being asked about another job. Um, he has, you know, arguably the best job in professional sports, like he said. And look, I just give him credit for being raw and being being honest. I thought it was a, uh, I thought it was a powerful and compelling window into uh, you know, into his mindset. Hmm. Pete Thamel is joining us. So, Pete, the Texas Tech job is open right now, despite the fact that they're five and three this year. First of all, I, I went there a couple years back, and I sat with Chris Beard on his fireside chat, and I sat next to Matt Wells. I mean, Lubbock, Lubbock's interesting. I like Lubbock. I, I, I like Lubbock. I think it's a very interesting place. What do you make of that move and their decision on a 5-3 and three team, first of all? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a weird era we're in right now, Jim, where we're seeing coaches getting fired because they might win. I mean, Oklahoma isn't very good. Texas Tech could beat them this week. Like that is just conceivable with the way Oklahoma's played. Oklahoma hasn't hasn't blown anybody out. Um, at least FBS teams, they have one, I guess, convincing FBS win. But and and I really think that move was made just just in case Matt Wells may have won. And I think Matt Wells had a decent body of work there. He was just never embraced there. And and if you sat next to him, and got to know him, like Matt Wells, is a heck of a guy. That's what I'm saying. Know? Exactly. Yeah, like did did you? I mean, you you were impressed when you were with him, Jim. Yeah, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, Pete. I was gonna say I was jumping in to agree with you. Yes, yes. Like you sit with him, you know he's he's got great energy, super upbeat, super positive. He's got a really good way about him. Yeah, very very likable guy, and a guy that you would think would be a good motivator and you'd want to play for. Yeah, and it just he was just never never liked there, never embraced there. He had to make drastic staff changes just to kind of hang on last year and. You know, at the end of the day, it, shame on them. If you don't want the guy, just fire him after last season, right? Like, why, if you're going to fire him midseason or, or this, why pull, why play the charade out anymore? Um, it's, uh, 
Yeah, but it's just it's just where where we are right now, and in uh, in in college football, and you know I feel bad for Matt, uh, who did a good job. There. I mean, they're going to go to a bowl game. Like that's that's pretty darn good for Texas Tech. You think back to to Mississippi State firing Joe Moorhead after uh, after back to back bowl seasons at, uh, at at Mississippi State. It's it's it, look, it's a tough business. These guys are paid a lot of money. Um, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna play their violin for them all day. But, whew, man, it is uh, – I mean, look, it is a cutthroat billion-dollar industry. And uh, I think we've got, what, five or six jobs open right now. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's indicative of it. October fires used to be rare. Now we're getting them Labor Day. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Pete Thamel joining us. All right, Pete, one last thought. You mentioned Jim Harbaugh and the fact that, like, James Franklin's body of work is better. Harbaugh's having a good year this year. But the rap, of course, has been that he does not win important games. So as good as they've been this year, how important is this game against Michigan State for Jim Harbaugh? Well, I think just the way they've started, the way they've played, and the, the, the fact that competency has returned to their, their defense has helped Jim Harbaugh from the big picture. I don't think if he loses this game, his job's in danger or anything, anything crazy like that. But I believe he is 2-12 and 12 against top 10 teams. And uh, most of those are, uh, are, are Ohio State, right? Um, I think he's 0-6 against them. So uh, it is another interesting test for Jim Harbaugh in big games. And for as well as Michigan has played and as good as their defense has played, their offense is still generally untested. And this is a, this is a test. Now, they gutted out that win at Nebraska. And all credit to them at night in a, in a rabid environment to going on the road and in, in, in winning. And this is going to be a new level of you know de- defensive interference on the other side, and we lubed up and ready to go. And it's going to be fun. Um, I have a hard time imagining that game not being close, Jim. I just don't think either team has like a distinct advantage on either side of the ball where I can where I can see you know I don't think Kenneth Walker is going to run for 290 yards, right? In Michigan certainly has, has been one-dimensional statistically on offense, so I, I can't imagine there. You know, I, basically both defenses are going to be teed up to stop the run, and it'll be interesting to see who can, uh, you know, who can move the ball through the air and uh, yeah, and, and and eke out a game. But I. I, pr- I expect that to be low-scoring, hard-hitting, and, and a lot of fun to watch. I think you're right, Pete. That's going to be a fist fight. That is going to be a close, close game. He is a national college football and basketball reporter for Yahoo Sports. He is co-host of the College Football Inquirer. He is Pete Thamel. Pete, great job. I appreciate you. And so it's good to have you on the show. Thanks so much for doing that. Hey, Jim, thanks for having me. Appreciate it, man. Great talking to you, Pete. Well done. A lot to cover with Ryan Howard. Ryan, it is so good to have you on the program. Ryan, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well, Jim. Thank you for having me, man. Oh, man, I was going to say, it's been a long time. In fact, a long time since you and I have kind of chopped it up a little bit. How are you doing? How is your life these days? What's it like? Man, life life is good. It has it has been a while, man. It has been a while. Life has been good. Life has been good. Uh, you know, just uh, been been playing the family circuit, trying to figure out this game they call golf. So, uh, you know, spending time with the family, relaxing a little bit, keeping up with some ball, and, uh, and doing this thing with – with Scott's and MLB, so doing the field refurbishment program. So it's been it's been good. It's been good. I like that a lot. I like that response very much. So what about this thing they call golf, <laughs> Ryan? That golf to me is always fascinating. Like I, I I could get into for hours why I don't play, but I love high level athletes and their fascination with the sport. How's that going for you? Do you like it? Have you taken to it? Um, Do you like it because you can't master it? Like what's your love of the game? Where does it come down to? You know what? It's, it's I have taken to it. Um, it's a love hate relationship. Uh, I love to go out and try to play. My ball hates staying in the fairway. So, you know, we're still, 
it's a work in progress, but uh, but it's fun, man. It's it's I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. I like it. Ryan Howard's joining us. All right, so when you look back on your career, you played in so many postseason games. When October rolls around, what kind of memories do you have of all the trips to the postseason and the World Series? Man, uh, thinking just thinking about it, uh, just the electricity. I think number one is is from the crowd, um, from the home field, uh, playing in Citizens Bank Park. Just the electricity, the feeling that you got when you woke up, knowing that you were going in, you were you know in the playoffs in the postseason, playing in the World Series. You're one of two teams left. Uh, this is what it's all about. You know, this is where, as a kid, this is what you dream about. This is the opportunity. This is the place you want to be. So I think, you know, kind of waking up, going to the ballpark, as soon as you step out on that field, you hear the crowd just erupt. And and you just, man, it's just a whole different feeling of like, all right, let's 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 go. You're excited. Ryan Howard is joining us. So, Ryan, what's it take in your mind to be successful in the postseason? Is it just a matter of the most talented team? Is it the hottest team? Or is it something else? You know, it's a combination of everything. Um, you know, obviously the hottest team – uh, that's that's going at the right time. You'll get you can get pretty far in there. I mean, I remember going back 2007. You know, the Colorado Rockies won like the last 19 or 20 games in a row, wound up making it to the World Series. But I think that once you get to the World Series, it's all about the little things. It's uh, that that kind of turn into the big things. And you know, again, you're playing the top of the top, and from both divisions. It's about execution. It's about finishing out the plays and finishing out the game. Um, you know, obviously the team that, that makes the least amount of mistakes is going to be the team that comes out on top. Not only that, Ryan, I would imagine also it's about how you deal with the pressure and how you deal with playing in the clutch. For instance, your manager, Charlie Manuel, used to say that guys, there are guys that want to be in those pressure-packed moments. There are guys that want to be at the plate in that moment. There are guys that want to make that play. Obviously, your Phillies teams had a lot of guys that had that kind of attitude, but I mean, is it accurate to say that every major leaguer has that approach, or maybe with some, even at that level, uh, rather not be in those pressure-packed moments? Maybe don't want the ball hit to them. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to say because everybody's makeup is different. Um, you would like to say that. Um, you don't know. You know, some people are just built for those situations. Uh, it's like Charlie said. You know, you got to want to hit. You got to want to be in that situation. So, uh, you know, it's it's tough to say because you, you just don't know how a lot of guys are thinking, but you would like to think that, hey, like when the when the game is on the line, um, you know, I want to be that guy that's, that's up at the plate. Talking to Ryan Howard, I get that. So last year you were on Joe Posnanski's podcast and you were talking about meeting a guy, Ryan, that I absolutely adored, Buck O'Neill. God, he was, Buck was such mm-hmm. a great, great dude. And you talked about what it was like to meet him for the first time and the impact that had on you. I'm really curious, what do you remember about meeting Buck and then what did that mean to you? I mean, you know, first thing is, is the man lights up a room. Yeah. Um, when you When you're in his presence, you just feel better just in general about life and just the stories and how he would go about talking about the different stories from the times when he played from when he was managing and just all the stuff. I mean, it's like, it makes you feel as though you were right there and you're reliving it. So, um, I mean, I always enjoyed my time with, with, with Mr. O'Neill and, uh, you know, baseball, we, we all miss him. 
We all miss him. Um, I mean, he definitely made not just baseball better, but but I think he helped make the world a better place. Oh, he did. There's no doubt. Ryan Howard, my guest, Buck O'Neill was amazing. I, I I used to have him on the program. He had so much it, and he just was larger than life. And he had this amazing personality, dude. Like I, I couldn't even believe that he actually knew who I was or liked me. I'm like, I have no idea why this is, but, man, this guy is so awesome. Buck is amazing. You know, you and I, Ryan, we could talk for hours about the battle between the pitcher and the batter. I'm really curious about something. When you were facing a guy who had an especially great pitch, like maybe a great mm-hmm. a great hook, a great curve, were you looking for that or were you trying to avoid that and hit something else to your liking? So it would all depend on the situation early on. If I knew a guy had a certain pitch and that he was going to – it just depends on when I knew he was going to try to use it. Um, if it was a nasty breaking ball, like I would try to – I try to avoid it at all costs if I could. Um, so if he's giving me a fastball earlier in the count or something to hit earlier in the count, I don't want to get to the breaking ball. Um, if a guy had, you know, a pretty good or a decent changeup, you know, I think for me, my mantra was, you know, I would just kind of look for something straight at times, not necessarily look for a fastball, um, but just look straight to where if it's a changeup out of the hand or a fastball out of the hand, just kind of seeing it and trying to make the adjustment um, as need be. But, you know, to where those pitches, change-ups and whatnot, like I could try to work those a little bit more in the count or try to look for those in certain counts um, as well. But I didn't want to try to get to the nasty curveball if I could try to avoid it. But sometimes, too, just with, you know, if I'm battling and fouling off pitches, it kind of became a process of elimination at times to where I was like, okay, what pitch haven't I seen? Oh, okay, he may come with a slider or the curveball right here. So then thus, yeah, I might be looking for that certain pitch. That is the mind of a major leaguer right there. That is fascinating to think about the sequencing and the way you go up there and the plan you have and what you're looking for and what you've seen, what you haven't seen. Ryan, I want to ask you about the things you're doing off the field, but I want to ask you one more thing really quickly first. I had Joey Votto on the show a few Mm -hmm. weeks back. We were talking about the craft of hitting. We were talking in particular about Barry Bonds and his approach to the plate when he knew that he was never, ever going to see a good pitch and the way he handled himself. I can remember very distinctly, Ryan, back in the day when Barry was like in the midst of it and there was so much heat and he was playing as well as he was. I mean, literally, he could expect at best, at best, one good pitch and a bat, if that. Mm -hmm. Yet somehow, some way, he was always locked in and seemingly could almost always turn on it when he got that one opportunity or that one pitch. What do you make of the way Barry handled his business in the batter's box? I mean, honestly, it's something special, and I don't think people understand it. Um, Barry figured out who Barry was and what made Barry Barry. And I always tell people I feel like people have that inner Barry in them to where it's like you just have to kind of figure that out because to get to that point, to understand, like, what your strengths are, and what your weaknesses are, what the pitcher is trying to do to you, but then to have the wherewithal and the calm and the confidence to sit there and say, all right, I'm going to get walked. They're not going to pitch to me. But when they do mess up, I'm going to be ready to hit this mistake and not miss this mistake. I had the opportunity of kind of uh, being able to kind of work with Barry and hit with him for like a week. And just the amount of knowledge that he was able to spit to me, like, in that week, I'm just like, 
man, like, I, I get it. Because his mindset also went to what the pitcher is trying to do to him, but, like, taking it and flipping it back on the pitcher, in a sense. So, I mean, to be able to get into that kind of a, a mindset, to be able to get to that kind of comfort level, to understand, even to the point to where it, it, it was almost like if Barry didn't swing at it, like, then it was a ball. Like, a pitcher could have thrown a ball right down the middle. If Barry didn't swing at it, then the umpires, I think, were kind of programmed to where it's like, well, if Barry didn't swing at it, it must not be a strike. So... You know what I mean? So That's funny. It's 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 one of those things where if you watch, it's yeah. I mean, he was just so locked in, but he was locked in on himself and knew what he was capable of being able to do and what he wanted to do against pitchers, as well as what the pitchers were wanting to try to do against him. And like I said, flip the script on the on the pitchers. So true. Like you, you don't even remember him really ever swinging at bad balls when that's all he mm-hmm. got, and he was fine taking that walk, knowing that that's the way that was. So Ryan, you're mm-hmm. working with the Scottsfield Refurbishment Program. Exactly, what is the program all about, and what are you doing with those folks? Yeah, so it's the Scott uh, Scottsfield Refurbishment Program, uh, along with Major League Baseball. So they're committed to improving fields of play and encouraging youth communities to get outside and enjoy activities such as baseball and softball. And each year the, uh, the field refurbishment program uh, will provide grants and products and services up to the value of $50,000 for four youth uh, serving organizations that are in need of renovations of existing ball fields. So it's been doing uh, a, a very, very great job thus far. It's, it's touched like millions of, of kids um, in the United States and being able to help provide more playable surfaces for them to be able to get out, not only for them, but for their community. So it's been fun for me to be able to be a part of that. And that's always been something that's been near and dear to my heart uh, is giving these kids the opportunity, getting them to be able to be outside, play, be active, but be able to be in a safe uh, and, and, and good, strong, playable field environment to be able to enjoy uh, playing baseball and softball. All those things are so important. Every one of those things you just mentioned, I've got a son who plays high school baseball, Ryan. It's so fun. It's like one of the best things. Really quickly, before you go, you're involved also in the Players Alliance, which is about mm-hmm. increasing racial equality in baseball. What's it been like to be involved in the organization and what's that mean to you? Man, it's been great. It's been great. Uh, you know, uh, being in there with CC Curtis Granderson, uh, EJ, Edwin Jackson, um, all those guys have been amazing. Uh, the group, I mean, I think in, in what's thus far, what it's been able to accomplish, what it's been able to provide, uh, and, and continue to look to provide, um, is, is just amazing. It's an amazing feat to be able to have this, uh, this organization being able to do what we're doing right now. So much quality there. He's a World Series champion, a three-time All-Star, and NL MVP. Today he appeared courtesy of the Scottsfield Refurbishment Program. Ryan Howard, my guest. Ryan, so good to get caught up with you, man. I miss you, big dude. Great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. What a great conversation. Oh, man. Appreciate it, Jim. Hey, man. Always, bro. Always a pleasure coming on the show. Good night now!